When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy Advice column for TED. And this is Dear Therapist's. Each week, we invite you into a real session where we help people confront their biggest problems and then give them actionable advice and hear about the changes they've made in their lives. So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, we're in session with sisters Sandra and Kim, who discover a family secret that their parents held for 60 years. I internally just felt like there's something that's not right here. We were asked our whole lives if we had the same parents. First, a quick note. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical or psychological advice and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our guests. Hi, Guy. Hi, Lori. So... Who do we have visiting us this week? Well, this week we have two sisters and their names are Sandra and Kim and their letter goes like this. Dear therapists, my sister and I very recently found out that we are donor conceived through two anonymous donors. She is 59 and I am 61. We found out quite accidentally through Ancestry and 23andMe. We have discovered not only that we are half-sisters from different donors, but that we each have many other half-siblings and other family members. Our mom, who is now 87, never told us and has spent our entire lives actively lying about our parentage and our medical history, as well as embellishing the stories of her pregnancies. Our father, who we grew up with, died 38 years ago. As you may imagine, finding this out at our ages has been extremely upsetting on many levels. We feel entirely betrayed by our own mother. Any help you could possibly offer would be much appreciated. Sandra. Well, here's another one of these situations in which DNA testing reveals something about people's history that they didn't know. And the issue is it really causes a psychological seismic shift almost that makes you potentially question so many aspects about who you are and so many aspects of your relationships here with her mother, probably her father, her sister, all these new people in her life. So it's this one discovery that can truly be 
incredibly difficult to process and manage and think through. I am glad that we're going to be talking to both these sisters because clearly this is something that would be easier for them to process together. What I think is so interesting is that whenever people discover that there's been a secret in the family, it does make you question what was real, what was not real. And she mentioned that it's very upending to get this information at their ages. But I think that at any age, it's the kind of thing where you start to really wonder, what does this all mean? So I'm really interested to talk to them and explore that with them. Yeah, let's go talk to them. You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapist. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. It's great to have you both. We'd like to start with a little bit of a snapshot of what your lives were like before you found this out. So if we rewind a few months and I asked you, tell me a little bit about your lives, each of you. Tell us. And so we have a picture of the context within which this happened. Sandra, maybe you can start. Okay. I'm a teacher. I taught high school for the past 10 years and I taught before that. I'm divorced. I have a roommate. I have a long distance boyfriend. I have two grown daughters in their 20s. They don't live with me. What about you, Kim? Tell us a little bit about your life. Happy life. My husband and I are both retired. We are empty nesters. We are free to do what we want. Everything was going great. And how old are your kids? 28 and 32. Would like to hear a little bit about how this was discovered, who found out, how it was communicated to the other. Okay, I'm the one who quite accidentally found out. 
I actually went on Ancestry in 2016, kind of just for fun to see if there was anything interesting. Nothing stood out to me really on there. And I actually had not been back on Ancestry in years. So I went back on and the first person under DNA relative I saw was one of my children who did it. She comes up as my daughter at 50% shared DNA. And underneath her, there is a man's name who I've never seen who came up as my second closest relative at 27% shared DNA. So of course, I was a little flipped out. Ancestry, I think, tries to soften the blow because they list him as a first cousin. At that time, we all looked at what 27% meant. And we saw that means that this person is not, in fact, a first cousin, but a half sibling, that this man would be my brother. So I called my sister and I asked her if she ever heard of this person's name before. You know, who is he? And she hadn't. And I sent him a message to Ancestry and said, hey, I saw you came up at 27%. I don't recognize your name. And he immediately messaged me back and said, hi, here's my cell number. Let's discuss. So he knew. He knew. So at first we thought, oh, this this can't be right. You know, before we spoke with him, maybe he's some secret love child of, you know, one of my uncles. And and then the 27% just kept telling me that's not true. So I went to my sister's house and we called him together and talked to him for a long time. That's how I first learned the true story. Can you tell us what he said on that phone call? Yes. Well, he was uh, very gentle with us. He was very, very kind, very gregarious. And the first thing he asked us was, was your father an OBGYN at uh, this specific hospital in Manhattan? And we said, um, no, why? And he said, let me tell you a story. So he told us that um, in 2020, his wife had read a book called Inheritance, and it was about DNA donors. And his wife and his mom are close. And his wife told his mom, his 90 plus year old mom about this book. And she confessed, well, actually, that's how I have my son from a sperm donor. We weren't able to have children. And then he proceeded to go on Ancestry and do his DNA. So he told us this story, recommended we read this book, and then he started asking us questions about our father after asking if he had been a doctor or an OBGYN resident, because that seems to be the pattern with everyone involved with this. That's who all the donors are turning out to be from this one specific hospital in this time period. They were all residents at the hospital at the time, and that's why they were donating. They were all OBGYN residents in the 50s and 60s. And we said, no, uh, he wasn't. So he just said, here's what I think. You two should do 23andMe because that's where all of the other half siblings are. Just he also happened to be on both sites. 
And you're going to find out all these names on there. And he gave us a list of names who, of course, all turned out to be my half siblings and some of their children. Oh, and then he told us that his best guess is that the two of us are going to turn out to be half sisters and not full sisters. What was that like when he said that might be the case? And Kim, we'd like to hear from you. I couldn't believe at all that this story could be true. I thought maybe he was a a love child from my father and his mother, but I thought there's no way we're from donors. Our mother would have told us that there is not a chance that could be true. And then when he kept saying that it is true, I thought, well, okay, perhaps Sandra is from a donor, but I truly believe that I was from the man who raised me. And so when he said that you're going to be from different fathers and they're going to be different donors, I thought, no way. My father definitely was my father. Was the reason that you felt that this was definitely your father because you had a closer relationship with him than Sandra did? I think I felt closer to him. I also felt closer to his family. And if the story was true, that meant my grandmother wasn't my biological grandmother. My aunts weren't my biological aunts. My cousins weren't my biological cousins. Like, I could not believe any of that. We were very close growing up. We grew up within five minutes of them. We saw them every week. There's no way that this story could be true. Sandra, what was your relationship like with your father? I had a pretty good relationship with my father. I mean, it it had its ups and downs. I think I probably felt more like the black sheep of the family. I always felt different growing up. I internally just, just felt like there's something that's not right here. Besides the superficial that the two of us don't look like, we're also very different from each other. And I felt different from my father's family, even though they were very good to us and kind to us. Something just always felt off. We were asked our whole lives if we had the same parents. Yeah, we do. Well, you don't look alike and you're so different from each other. I mean, it even went as far as my sister used to ask my mom if she was adopted. Yes, I did. Why, Kim, did you ask that question? Because you're saying you felt really close to your father and his side of the family. Were you feeling differently regarding your mom? Because I didn't look like anyone. And so I kept thinking, am I adopted? I'm not adopted, right? And then she would say, no, of course you're not adopted. So I was like, oh, okay. But I knew something was off. This is what happens when there are secrets in a family. We hear this all the time, that people always know that something is off. That's the phrase that you just used. And that's the phrase we always hear. Something was off. I couldn't put my finger on it. But I knew that there was something that I just couldn't articulate that didn't feel as it seemed. That's exactly right. So, Kim, this man is telling you, be prepared. You might only be half sisters. Tell us what happened from there. So then I went to do the 23andMe test. I ordered it immediately and, um, you know, waited anxiously for those results. And when they came in, I was completely shocked even though I was told to be prepared. I couldn't believe it. What were the results? Uh, The results were that I also was from a donor and not the same one as my sister. And when I opened up the results, the first person, it comes up in order of how much DNA you share. And this person comes up at the very top and it says 
50% shared DNA. This is your father. Has his name Robert and his picture. And I just gasped. I couldn't believe it. What happened when you saw not only his name, but his picture? Uh, I was I was just in shock. Were there any similarities you saw in the image that made you feel like, oh, maybe this is my father? Or did it feel like, no, this man is not? Like, how much did it resonate that this person actually is your biological father? It felt like it was not. So there was a resistance to it, to that notion, even though the DNA is there at 50%, it just doesn't feel real. Yes, when I opened up my results, I figured I'm going to see someone on there from my father's side of the family who maybe just did the test and never told me they did. That's what I was expecting to see. And he came up at the top at 50%. And then underneath, a whole bunch of half-siblings came up at like 25%. When you say a whole bunch, and Sandra, you also said there was a list. Are we talking two or three? Are we talking five, six, ten? Like, give us a sense of how many people now. Yeah, for me, it's about ten. And Sandra, for you? I think it's about four or five. And some obvious nephews or nieces came up also. I'm sure there were more out there and they just haven't been discovered yet. But what was really shocking to me was when I, I did 23andMe afterwards also at the same time. And we're talking just about two months ago. And to open my account and to see my sister, Kim, who I grew up with, with her picture and her name to say half-sister. Even though I knew it was going to come up, it was shocking. It was jarring. Yes, I felt the same way to see that she's 25%. And so are all of these strangers. What were those first conversations like between the two of you once that confirmation came in and you knew at least what you were dealing with? She called me and I was actually with one of my daughters in the car. and. We were in shock. I mean, we started from shock and disbelief and anger and grief. I'm mostly in grief and the grief part, trying to accept now, but we're angry and angry at our mother, very disappointed. And for you, Kim? After shock, I I also, I felt anger because... How could she not tell me? And the truth is, I gave her every opportunity because after Sandra got the result from Ancestry and knew that she had a half-sibling and he had told me that this probably was going to be my story as well, I thought, okay, I'm going to tell my mother that I'm going to do 23andMe. I told her, well, we want to find out about our health. But I said, and also, I think it's so interesting. They give you all of the ancestors. They they tell you everybody who you are related to and the percent of DNA you share. And they will say what relationship they are to you. She had a cousin years ago who took probably years to draw out a whole family tree. And I said, and the family tree will just pop up on the computer. So this way, she knew exactly what I would find out. So I thought, if this story is true, I'm giving her now until I get my results, three to four weeks for her to come clean because I wanted to hear it from her, not from a computer, not from a stranger. And she did not come through for me. Is there a reason that in that conversation, instead of testing her to see if she would come clean to you, was there a reason that you didn't want to say to her, Hey, mom, Sandra did this DNA test. This is what she found. I'm now doing a DNA test. 
Is there something that we don't know? Well, I think part of it was, I was thinking perhaps my father was the donor. And I thought, what if she doesn't know that? And so I figured I'll just throw it out there, see what she says. But she didn't say anything. So then I thought, I'm not sure what's going on. And perhaps he really was my biological father. When you say she didn't say anything, what did she actually say? She mentioned about the health. She said, oh, I don't know why you would want to know that beforehand. I like to be in the dark. So she did say something. When you said she said nothing, she was actually trying to dissuade you from getting the information because she knew what would come up. Probably. Yeah. But she just said, you know, she likes to be in the dark about everything. She was hoping you would not take the DNA test. Probably. So tell us what happened once you have those results. How did you decide when to speak to her, how to talk to her. We'd like to hear how that went down. Well, I just want to add also that I told her before, Kim, that I was doing 23andMe. And my sister just uh, told her more about what we would find. I told her I'm doing it because I really want to get the, the health panel, but it will also show me who my relatives are and our ancestry and her response was, you believe that stuff? I said, yeah, mom, it's science. And that was it. But there was another point in 2016 when I did the original ancestry test. And this comes up in the conversation with what you asked. I I told her in 2016 that I was doing ancestry and she yelled at me. She got very angry with me. And uh, said that, you know, you already know what your ancestry is. Why would you spend your money on that? And I said, I just want to do it. She was livid with me. So there was a real pattern there of her trying to dissuade you each from doing these kinds of tests, from finding out what she probably anticipated you might find out. Yes. So what happened once you got the results of the tests, each of you? Did you go and talk to your mom again with the results? We did. We discussed it between us for a few days and then decided today's the day, about three or four days later, we're going to go over to her house and see her. We see each other a lot. We talk all the time. So I texted her. I said, we're coming over to see her. We both got there and we told her, sit down on the couch. And we took out some chairs and sat in her living room across from her. And my sister told her, well, we got our 23andMe test back, mom. Is there anything you'd like to share with us? I told her that we were confused and shocked by our results. She said, what could you have found out? I don't know what you're talking about. So she still wasn't coming clean and she had to know that's why we're there. She was never, ever going to tell us she was taking it to the grave. So she denied it and she said, I don't know what you could have found out. And after a few times of her saying that, I just couldn't hold it back anymore. And I said, how about that my poor sister has to open up her 23andMe and have it say, here's your father with his picture and his name and to see all her half-siblings and for me to see that she's my half-sister. Let's start there, mom. Do you want to explain that? Then she said, it's true. 
finally. I said, so in other words, you weren't going to confess until you were caught. And she said, that's right. Because she said, your father and I had a pact. We were going to tell no one. So she was never going to tell us until we actually told her what we found out. She said, I was praying and our mother doesn't pray. Okay, I was praying you wouldn't find out. We were never going to tell you. And I didn't want anyone from your father's family to ever know this. And let me tell you, there are only a few people left, only a few cousins, and they don't live near us. And she's not even in contact with them. Did she explain to you why they had made this pact and why it was so important that nobody find out? No. It sounds like she and your father really loved you both. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if you both were curious at all underneath all of the anger and sense of shock and betrayal. I wonder if you were curious about why they might have made that pact. In other words, maybe they were trying to protect you or do you have any sense of what their reasoning is as much as you disagree with it? Did you have any curiosity about that? Yes, I do have curiosity about that. And we haven't spoken to her about this since that day. And I I don't know if I ever want to bring it up with her again, but I am curious why it had to be so secretive. I actually know the answer to that. Not from her personally, but from um, all the research we've done since then and from the people that we know who we've spoken with, like my sister's siblings. A few of them got to talk to her father. Her biological father only died two years ago. And from what he said and the others said, records were never kept. There was just a sign-up sheet and it was supposed to be a secret. From what I understand, back in the 60s and maybe the 70s, no one was supposed to be told, which is, you know, outrageous that we're denied our medical records, our biological history. So I'm guessing that she was told not to say anything because of that at the time. But the problem I have is she knows this is not the 60s or the 70s and that she purposely withheld the information. And our father who raised us died 38 years ago. And from what we've read, most of the moms who were alive after the fathers died told the children the truth about their parentage. And our mother still didn't. My half-siblings have now shared with me letters from our biological father because they did get to speak with him and exchange letters and do video calls with him and all that. And he said everything was anonymous. No one knew who the sperm donor was, and the sperm donor had no idea who was receiving the sperm. That's just how it was back then. It was very secretive, which could just be maybe why my parents wanted it so secretive. I'll assume the doctor's said, this is a very secretive thing. Don't tell anyone. So that was two months ago. What else transpired in that conversation? And what has your contact been like with her since then? What had transpired was that she was very important to her that we do not tell our first cousins on our father's side this story. I don't know why it still has to be so secretive. She just said, don't tell your cousins. And I'm trying to figure out, well, does she have the right to tell me that? Is it her secret? Is it my secret? Who owns 
this secret? Can I live my true life and not have to hide my identity? What I find so interesting about this is both of you had so many questions and you came over to talk to your mom about what you had discovered and neither of you asked all of the questions that were swirling around in your minds. Is that something that has been the relationship with your parents growing up where there wasn't a lot of open communication in general? Because there were so many questions that you had and you're making so many guesses about what the answers are without having asked her when you had the opportunity to ask her. We did ask her and she just kept repeating the same things. It was a pact I made with your father. It was a pact. That was the same answer that kept coming up. Well, Sandra, I mean the question such as, why can't we tell dad's side of the family? Why can't we tell the cousins? That was a question, but you didn't ask her. Do you know why? Yeah, we didn't ask. Lori's asking you why you didn't ask it. Our mom is generally very secretive. And when you try to push for more answers, she sometimes just shuts off. And I can tell you that through the years, she has told me that I tell my children too much. I mean, my children are adults now. She has repeatedly said, you don't need to tell them everything. You tell them too much. So I understand the kind of of person that I'm dealing with. I also, you know, understand she is a product of her generation. She's almost 88, but she's very secretive. The secret was more important to her than our medical history. I mean, I've asked her so many times about different medical things and she will say nothing on either side of the family. And she also has embellished Her pregnancy stories that we never asked to hear through the years with lies about how she got pregnant and it was so easy, this and that. She's told us stories about cousins she had in the past who are doctors who were sperm donors when they were medical students. And we've always told her we would always want to know the truth about anything. We've told her over and over, we don't like to be in the dark. And she always says, well, I like to be. And we say, but we're not you, mom. But when we confronted her, she didn't remember telling us those donor stories or so she claimed. Sandra, you sounded angry at the beginning of that conversation with her. Were you able to express that you were angry and upset and hurt and disappointed? I told her I was hurt. I told her I was angry. And at the end of the conversation, I will say, I said, and do you have anything else further that you would like to add to this? And she said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I think to me, it was like when you ask a toddler to say they're sorry and they're not, and they say it, I really believe she was sorry she got caught. I still think that she thinks she did the right thing. And Kim, what were you able to express to your mom in that conversation about how you were feeling? She knew I was hurt. I was really most worried about her because of her age and I didn't want to upset her. So, you know, Sandra was definitely angry and I was taking the other role like I was feeling bad for mom and worried about her. And so, you know, mom was upset. She just said, I'm afraid you won't love me anymore. So I was like, no, I love you. I'll always love you, mom. And I hugged her. So it's like I was consoling her, but I was actually really hurting inside. And you said you didn't think she knew that, but you didn't express it. Probably not as much as I should have. Yeah, that's because uh, Sandra was pretty angry. So you felt like she couldn't take 
the feelings of both of you at the same time. Yeah, I was afraid. Yeah. At the end of that conversation, she said she was sorry in a way that, Sandra, you didn't feel was genuine. I don't really think that she is able to comprehend how egregious what she did was. And I don't think at her age that she is going to get it. We talked for about an hour and a half that day, and we've seen her and talked to her a lot since then, but not about that. Oh, one thing I do want to say that I remember my sister did one more time. You did talk to her about the next day, and she asked her, weren't you worried that we could maybe accidentally date one of our brothers? I mean, my sister has a lot of brothers. Oh, that's right. I did say that to her. Right. I forgot about that. She said it never crossed their minds because I have a lot of siblings and we all grew up in the same city. And these are only the ones who've done the DNA test. There could be dozens more of us out there. So she was, no, it never crossed her mind that we would possibly meet and date someone who had the same biological father as us, which is very dangerous. Did she explain that the reason that they did it was because your father was infertile? We did. At the time was a point of shame for a lot of men. And that's probably related to why that was a secret. I'm curious, though, about the fact you said the next day you had a bit more of the conversation. But since then, you've seen her multiple times and this hasn't come up. So since then, everyone's pretending like everything's okay. How come? You don't have to go in there with guns blazing or with guilt bombs, but to sweep it under the rug so quickly and to pretend that now all is well when that this isn't the thing you're thinking about all the time seems a little unusual. And I'm curious about why you're doing that. I could say for me, I am never like this. And it is only in this instance that I've been like this because of her age. But the other reason is, I don't think I'll be able to get through to her. She doesn't understand how knowing this could have changed the trajectory of our lives. And she can't give me those years back of my life walking around not knowing who I really was. You know, when you asked about our childhood before, we um, were never lauded that much. I mean, we were both straight A students. I probably would have made different choices. I know this might sound a little strange, but if I had known that my father was a doctor, I might have had a little bit more self-esteem and confidence in myself that I didn't have as a 17-year-old that I didn't have until much later in life. So like, I feel like I don't even want to go into it with her anymore, even though, yes, we are taking the hit personally to ourselves by not addressing it with her again. You said that had you known this as young women, you think the trajectory of your lives would have been different. Tell me about what you imagine. Well, what I imagine is I had a half scholarship to many private schools on the East Coast, and I didn't use them because it would have been a financial burden to take out loans for the other half. I got my BA early and went on later to, to work in media and to be a teacher. But if I had known this at 17 or even at 23, when my father who raised us passed, I think I probably would have made different choices. I probably would have taken out the loans and gone to one of the private schools. 
How would knowing these things have made you want to do something different? Because I think I would have had more self-esteem. I would have felt more confidence biologically. And I always felt different. Like I said, not only, you know, people telling us we look different, we act different and just nothing made 100% sense to me. Now things are making sense, even though it's really sad to find it out at this age. Can I ask how your father died when it sounds like he was rather young? Yeah, he died of a heart attack in his early 50s. And again, their medical issues have come up before. And she always said nothing on either side. And, you know, doctor recently gave me a heart stress test, a little worried because my father died so young of a heart attack. So just another example. And Kim, for you, were there also thoughts about whether your life would have been different had you known this earlier? I do agree with Sandra that I would have had higher self-esteem. Our mother definitely did not praise us and she criticized us a lot and did not encourage us to pursue career. And just knowing that my biological father was a doctor would have definitely given me more confidence. These feelings that you have toward your mother about not telling you earlier, do you also have them toward your father for not telling you? I don't have any bad feelings towards my father at all about it. How come? I would have been quite young to handle this type of information. I was only 21 when he passed, so I feel like he's off the hook. So you're saying you would have liked to have had this secret throughout your whole childhood? Because my understanding earlier was that you wanted to know when you were younger, but now you're saying you don't feel like you could have handled the information at 21. I'm saying as a child, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. What about you, Sandra? Would you have liked to have known when you were growing up? Yes, absolutely. I would have liked to have known probably by junior high or high school. And certainly by the time I was going into college a month after I turned 17 or last chance, how about a little bit after he passed at 23? Absolutely. I absolutely would have wanted to have known. So I'm wondering for you, do you feel any of that anger toward your father? Because both of them made this decision together. A little bit. It's like I even give them a pass for the 60s and the early 70s because of the reading I've done and the time I knew that that was what was done, even though it certainly wasn't morally or ethically right. But... uh I don't give him a full pass. He gets much more of a pass because he died 38 years ago, but I do hold him partially responsible. So you've had many decades, each of you, to develop your identity, your sense of self, your narrative about who you are in the world. How has this changed that? Is that something you're talking about together or is that something you're trying to process separately? I would say I'm processing it separately. I have been talking with a therapist about it because it's been just having the rug pulled out from underneath my childhood. I'm replaying a lot of scenarios now and they're all sounding different and having more memories of things that were said or not said. So I have a lot of grief processing, you know, what was lost, what was untrue, what I might have done differently. So I've been reading and talking with a therapist besides Kim to try to process it. But the other grief that I have is the grief about my mom. 
I, I'm so sorry that she put me in this position, that this is going to forever change the memories and the relationship I have with her while she's still alive. And it's going to, to change how I look back on her. And that, that makes me very sad to know that the one person that I thought that I could trust betrayed me with the biggest betrayal that I think that that she probably could have ever done to me. It's not that she's not good to me in other ways. And I know, Laurie, you always say two things can be true at the same time. When we talk about two things can be true at the same time, what I think about is that she tried to protect you and it came off as harming you. And she did not and does not see that. So it's one thing for her to think I'm protecting them this whole time. But it's another thing when the daughters say, actually, that didn't protect us. And I think that's where your anger is mostly focused. I think there's a double betrayal. There's the first betrayal of we weren't told. And then the second betrayal is, and when we bring this to light, we're told your feelings about this are not valid. I would say so. And even if that's what she and other parents were told in the 60s and 70s and that they were protecting us, we're grown adults. I think somewhere in there, the switch to protect her reputation, to protect this pact, which is with my dad, which as far as I'm concerned, was null and void within several months after he died 38 years ago, in my mind. She owed that loyalty to us to let us know our identity. So I think it turned from protecting us to protecting her. Sandra, I think you're right. And after he passed was also a different era and people were thinking about these things differently. And the fact that she wouldn't tell you then is to protect her, but also to protect him. And that's also another form of betrayal that their needs superseded yours. I don't know why she said some of the things she said. Was it kind of funny to her? telling us about doctor cousins who donated while they were in med school and now saying, oh, I never said that or making up stories about her pregnancies and which were obviously total lies. My guess, Sandra, is that she wasn't able to really get in touch with her own feelings about the fact that she was keeping this secret that she felt because at the time doctors would say, don't tell. That was the instruction that they gave to parents. Don't tell, pretend this didn't happen. So she probably, outside of her awareness, had some mixed feelings about all of this. It was hard to hold all of that secret on her own. It's very hard to hold such a big secret with just your husband. And they probably never talked about it because there was so much shame around it. And I imagine that these things leaked out. Not because she was consciously trying to do anything, but because this is something she was thinking about and they came out in inappropriate ways. She wasn't able to, by herself, contain this huge secret that she lived with, by the way, every day when she wasn't in denial. So she'd be in denial for most of the time, and then she'd have a little leak in the denial mechanism and something would come out and then she'd go back in like a turtle putting its head out and then going back in its shell. Secrets often leak in that way, but I think you've yet to get to the point where you're really focusing on your identity, on what it does or doesn't change for you, on how you're feeling about yourself in any ways that are different or not. And I think that there are stages to dealing with shocking 
news and they unfold one at a time often with some overlap. But I think that this is still very early for you. And so you're very much preoccupied with the secret, with the lies, with the relationship. And I'm suggesting that to come is going to be some work you're going to have to do about that sense of identity and what it changes. Have you talked about whether it changes anything in your relationship as sisters? Yes, I could say that that is a benefit because we've always gone along, but we've always been very different from each other. And now we kind of know why, but it's made us closer because who else could have such a crazy secret held for so many years from them by by their mother? So in that way, it's made us closer. And I too have talked with some of the half siblings and, and a nephew and they've been great. And we plan to meet up at some time. Sandra, is there any relief in finally having an answer to these questions that have been percolating in you for so long about why you felt different or why you felt that something wasn't right? I guess there is some relief. That's a good point. I guess there is, but concurrently, there's also a lot of grief and anger. But yeah, relief and grief at once. It sounds like both of your biological fathers passed away before you got this information. Is that right? I don't know about mine. Sandra doesn't know her father. I don't know. If he's alive, he'd be probably 90-ish. So he hasn't been found. I've been looking. I've written many, many emails to to people on 23andMe, and I haven't been able to find a link to the donors, I guess they call it social family. The only people I've spoken with are half-siblings, so I haven't had success in that way. And I don't know if I'll ever find the link. I'd love to find the link, whether he's alive or not. My sister has a very different story on that end. What's that like for you, Sandra, to watch Kim be able to read letters from her biological father and have a lot more information than you do? I'm happy for her. I wish I would have the same experience. I have to accept I may never. So it's sad for me. I very well may never have that experience. And I wish I did, but I may never have it. There are a lot of different emotions, but certainly the grief and the loss is one of them. That's true. I know you asked my sister if she looked like her dad. I found that uh, I physically resemble a couple of my half-siblings a lot. And seeing that for the first time, they sent me pictures and it was really startling. I knew I looked nothing like my father's family. And I thought I looked like my mom's family. I look a little bit like them, but I look way more like my father's family. And it was just startling to see. You've seen when you're saying it's just startling, there was a real sadness there in your eyes. Yeah, it just brings back the whole lie. My whole life not being able to to know the truth when I always felt something was amiss and I didn't know what. And seeing that really brought it to light, seeing their pictures, like, wow. Right. And you see a resemblance to a sibling you didn't know you had brings back so many moments of that doubt and so many historical moments of feeling something very strongly and not having the validation for it. Correct. You mentioned, Kim, 
the question of, so what do we do vis-a-vis -vis our dad's family and our cousins? Do we tell them or do we not tell them? Let's start with what you want to do, and then we'll get to what the concerns might be. But what would you like to do, each of you? I would like to tell them because I'm close with them and I don't want to keep this from them. I feel like by omitting it, I'm lying in a way if I would see them and speak to them and they say, what's new? And I say, nothing much. What's new with you? I feel like it's a lie. That would be. And Sandra? I would like to tell them also, but, you know, my mother sat there at that day saying, don't tell them, don't tell them. That's why I didn't tell you. What does she think will happen if they find out? I have no idea. But you haven't asked, right? Mm -mm. There's a really interesting message that goes on here, which is we want to keep everything in the open. We're people who bring things up. We don't like it when things are hidden. And yet we don't actually have these conversations. We don't ask our mother, well, why? What do you think would happen if we told the cousins? We don't say all the things that we're thinking or ask all the questions that we're wondering about. How do you think about that? On the one hand, you feel like you're people who are very open. And on the other hand, you're people who are very afraid to bring things up. That's a really good question for Kim. I always had a fear of my mother growing up. She, you know, instilled in me, you know, to do certain things or don't do certain things. And like, I never wanted to anger her. Even now at my age, if she tells me, don't tell your cousins, I'm like, okay, as opposed to why. Except Kim, of the two of you, you're the one who said, I'd like to tell them. And Sandra was the one who said, I'm really torn. Right. What would she do? Like, what would she, how would she react when you were a kid? What was the thing that was so scary about her that you were afraid of her? Oh, she would just disapprove of me. She'd scream at me. She'd hit me. I just was petrified. What's an example of that where she would hit you or she would scream at you? Can you recall an incident? I don't know, just when we were little. And I don't think Sandra and I were bad kids in any way. But we'd be very afraid and she'd come, you know, towards us and we'd be like, oh, no, no. And we tried to lock ourselves in our bedroom so she couldn't open the door. And you were really scared of her then. Can you remember an example yes. of something you did that triggered that anger from her, that a specific incident that you can tell us about? No, not really. She just seemed angry all the time, which is odd because she'll say that when we were little girls, it was the happiest time in her life. But I only remember her being angry at us. What about your dad? Were you afraid of him? No. And I know Sandra and I have different, different experiences with this. We have discussed this. I just remember having a great relationship with my father. I don't remember him ever yelling at me or hitting me or disapproving of me. It was just from my mom. And Sandra remembers both. What do you remember, Sandra? I remember my dad differently. By and large, the relationship was okay. We got along well in certain ways, but I do remember that I got hit as a kid by him. You know, and again, I'm not excusing it, but I do know that it was more common at that time. Are you talking about he would spank you? Uh, with the strap mm. for being, quote, bad. And again, I have a little bit different experience. And I remember him once when I was a teen telling me I was like an albatross around his neck. Do you know what prompted that comment? I don't remember. And again, Compared to most teens, I was a pretty good kid. You know, I was a really good kid. So 
I would say that I guess even during childhood and certainly later on in adulthood, my sister was definitely the quote favorite. And even though she might still be afraid of our mom, I would say she was the favorite. I still would hear like about once a once twice a year now, even she made better life choices. And, you know, I got divorced. It wasn't a good marriage, but my sister, you know, was always smarter in the way that she made better choices. And now I feel like, wow, mom, she turns out to have made the worst choice of all here by not telling us about our identities and lying and betraying us. In every family, there are stories. This child is like this. This child is like this. People get labeled. They get stories around them. And then these narratives as children kind of seep in and we internalize them. And when they continue into adulthood, it's very hard to change the narrative. For example, a different narrative around divorce is I made a really good choice by ending that marriage. I made a really good choice in the new partner that I have. I made a really good choice in the way that I parent. So there's lots of stories you can tell around that one issue. But the story that you're still fighting with her about is that you make bad choices and that Kim makes better choices. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we talk about what this new story that has come into your lives, the story of the person that we grew up with is not our biological father and we have different fathers. There's an opportunity, I think, as you're getting clear on what the accurate story is to make the other stories in your life more accurate too, so that you're not walking around with these stories that are so old and so inaccurate. What was the message, Kim, that you would get growing up about yourself? Either a good one? What was your message? I was definitely seen as the easier one. I didn't give them much trouble purposely. I knew that there was definitely conflict with them and Sandra. And I'm the younger one. So I just tried to follow all the rules, not make any trouble. We were talking earlier about not keeping the secret yourselves of sharing this information with your family. That might make trouble for your mom. Do you still feel like you need to have that role and not making trouble? Yes, exactly. Why I am torn about saying anything. I don't want to anger her. So because you keep referencing her age, she's almost 88. We don't want to upset her, etc. There's a difference between upsetting an 88-year-old and angering an 88-year-old. Upsetting her is like, oh, will she be okay? Angering her is, will I be okay? And I want to ask, which is it? Is it angering or is it upsetting? It's probably both. For you, Sandra? It's probably both. So... Sandra and Kim, we have some advice for you. We're thinking about the fact that both of you felt so upset about the fact that this secret was kept from you for so many years when it could have been really significant to learn earlier. And we know you're really struggling with this idea of keeping the secret now from your cousins, who you have a relationship with when they're asking you, how are you doing? And the biggest thing that's happened in many years is something you feel you can't talk about, then that's spilling into a separate relationship you have. And we know that makes you uncomfortable. So we do think you should tell your cousins. And we also think you should tell your mom that you're going to tell your cousins. However, yes, however, I know both of you had that face like, Oy. however, <laughs> fair enough. But this is what we want you to tell your mom. We want you to change your mom's story about what happened. 
because her story is from 60 something years ago. Her story is about the mores of the time that they did something shameful and they were told by the doctors not to tell anyone. What we'd like you to tell your mom is, mom, look, we're going to talk to our cousins and tell them the truth about what happened because here's how we see that truth. We see that you and dad so wanted a family that you were willing to do something really brave and something that was at the time considered shameful, at the time considered something one shouldn't even talk about, but was really brave, both you and dad. And you went ahead with this decision. And then once you did, you were told not to tell us and you held on to that because you were told at the time it would be better for us not to know. And even though we would have loved to have known, that's what you were told and you kept to it. And dad took it to his grave and you would have as well, other than the fact that we found out. But we understand the bravery that that took. And we know how much you did that to protect us because you loved us and you wanted this family from before we were born. And that's the story we want to tell our cousins, how brave our mom and dad were for wanting us so much that they did something so, so difficult. That's the first task. You tell her and then you tell your cousins. Now, she might have a strong reaction and she would say, no, I don't want that. And then you'll reiterate, you'll say, mom, you don't want it because you think it's shameful. We don't. We're here because of that choice. We exist because of that choice. We want to celebrate that choice. As difficult as it is for us, for you, we want to be proud of you for doing it. And we want you to feel proud of yourself for having the strength to do it. We'll try and get her to change her story. And you should tell your cousins regardless. You're letting her know you're doing it. It's not a question to her. You're letting her know. But if she can change her story just a little bit, it might open her up to having more discussions with you about it if she knows that there's a different way to think about this. And there's this question that you both had about whose story is this? And it's everybody's story. But there's this famous quote from Carl Jung that secrets are like psychic poison. And I think that if you collude with the secret, you're colluding with the shame. And so given how much you wanted to know this information, and now that the truth is out there, we don't want you to be the people colluding with the secret. We want you to feel free to share the truth of who you are. So that's the first task. The second task. We talked a lot about grief and loss and a lot of fantasies about what it would have been like had you known earlier the loss of the time, the grief around not having been told in time to potentially meet your biological fathers. And we would like you to go a little bit into that grief because we feel like this is very new to both of you and there's a lot of anger but the tender, sad part still hasn't really been processing as much. And so we would like you each to write a letter to your donor and say all of the things that you would like to have said had you been able to meet them. And this is going to bring you straight to the heart of your grief and loss in a way that is going to really help you get in touch with that. Because I don't think you'll be able to move through this experience 
if you aren't getting in touch at that really, really tender, deep level with the grief and the loss. And you were saying earlier, I think, Sandra, you said we really should have had the opportunity to get to know where we came from. So what would you have said if you could have gotten to know those men? So we'd like you to write those letters. And then we would like you to read those letters to each other so that you can be there to support each other. And so you can have someone there to witness your grief and your loss. And they might be different. So you went through a similar experience, but we want there to be space for you each to process this in the way that happens organically for each of you. So there's the grief of this, but there are also some positive things that happened from it and some potentially empowering things that happened from learning what your true story is. And you mentioned it brought you in touch with half-siblings you didn't know. It allowed you to, right now, confront some aspects of your childhood. We'd like you each to make a list of the ways in which this experience has been empowering for you individually. And that might be different for each of you. But what are the ways in which this has enriched your lives and potentially could going forward? When you think of the future, make a list of those different things and describe them. And then we'd like you to share that with one another, because fundamentally, as sisters, you're going through this together, and this is bringing you closer. That should be one of the items on that list, as you mentioned. Here are the ways in which it's been empowering. Here's how I might grow from this. And one of the things that happens when we reflect on that is we start to make sense of things that didn't make sense in the past. So when your father, Sandra, said you were an albatross, I imagine that that was the burden of the secret that was leaking out, that you were not the burden, that the secret was his burden. People displace their unprocessed thoughts, feelings, emotions, and all the things that your mom did, things that are incomprehensible to both of you, the things that she mentioned about adoption and donors, the leaks, all of the leaks and on your list. I hope that you'll both think about how having these truths helps you make sense of the past in a way that isn't so painful. So some of the things that were said and done are now in the context of, oh, they had feelings about this big secret that they were holding too. Two people knew about the secret and two people didn't, but everybody was feeling the burden of the secret. And that does not mean that the two of you were burdens. The two of you were why they went to such great lengths to do this. But when you have a secret, it's going to leak out in all kinds of ways that are unhealthy. It was all very good advice. I'm really glad that the sisters reached out to us and also that they have each other because the revelation of a secret has so many ripple effects and it can feel so isolating and so confusing and so lonely. And while they're each going to be on their own journey with this, they also have this common moment of discovery and they grew up with the same parents and they're dealing with the same kind of family issues around secrecy and shame and all of the leakage that came out over the years that didn't make sense to them that now is starting to make sense. I agree. And what I'm glad for is that despite the fact that they've had different experiences growing up and very different experiences 
now as well. Sandra having much less information comparatively, and yet it's been able to bring them together and to strengthen their bond. And I like how we talked about the both and of a situation, that there's some relief and freedom that comes with, I wasn't crazy, I knew something wasn't right. And then also all of the reactions that come with, and what do we do now? And some people are still uncomfortable with it. So I'll be really interested to see how these assignments go this week for both of them. Absolutely. You're listening to Dear Therapists. We'll be back after a short break. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. So, Lori, we heard from Sandra and Kim, and I am so curious to hear how these assignments went for them. Hi, this is Sandra. We completed our first assignment by going to our mother's house. We started out by letting her know that we commend her and my father for their bravery. I let her know we understand that they chose to use a donor because they so desperately wanted children. It did open up more discussion. We told her we were going to be letting our cousins know because we wouldn't be colluding in the secret. On one hand, I thought it went better than I had anticipated as I had been afraid that she would yell at me and throw me out of her house when we told her this and she didn't. So I was happy about that. However, when we continued to ask her why they kept this a secret and why she continued to carry this secret for decades after our father died. She just kept stating because that's what we decided to do when you were born. When we asked her that now, seeing how much pain this has caused us, if she would do it that way all over again, if she had the chance to change things regarding holding the secret, she said that she would do it exactly the same way again. For the second assignment, writing the letter to my sperm donor father, I found it to be cathartic and I was able to express a range of emotions, including excitement, grief, and anger. I was curious about him and what he looks like and his personality, 
his interests, his family, his medical history. I wanted to know if there are any similarities between us and also if he has ever given thought to how many donor children he may have and if he was at all curious about us, about me. I told him about myself, about my life, about my children, and let him know that it would have meant a lot to me if I had known that he existed, even if I didn't get to know him, just if I knew that he uh, was out there, it would have been beneficial to me. I found it empowering to write my list of positives regarding this discovery, including the fact that sharing this experience has made my sister and me closer. And I've gotten to speak with some uh, pretty cool new closely related family members that I hadn't known about before. Additionally, I think it gives me a sense of relief as it explains why I always felt different. So things finally make more sense. I finally know my story. Hi, Laurie and Guy, this is Kim. I completed my assignments and I wanted to give you the update. Sandra and I went over to our mom's house to give her the new positive narrative of our story. It did not go as well as I had hoped. Mom was kind of closed off, defensive. I told her how brave I thought she and dad were and how much I appreciated the lengths they went through to have a family and that I want to celebrate that story. I told her that I'm very proud of her for what she did and that I want her to be proud of herself too and feel no shame. She then said, I am proud of myself. I feel no shame. So I then asked them, why did it have to be a secret then? And she said, because that's what we decided. I thought you'd be teased. So I guess she was trying to protect us when we were children. But we are 60 years old. I then told her that we want to feel free to share the truth of who we are. So we are telling our cousins the story. And she angrily said, Go ahead and tell your cousins, I don't care. I don't even talk to them. I then got up to leave. I gave her a hug and told her that I loved her. She then said, sorry, in a harsh tone. I said, sorry for what? And she had no response. I said, sorry that we are in pain. And she said, yes. Writing the letter to my biological father to express my grief and loss was both cathartic and healing. I also expressed my gratitude to him for giving his donation so that I can exist. My life has definitely been enriched by this new discovery. There are a lot of positives. Sandra and I are closer now than we have ever been. We have definitely bonded over this experience. We had a very meaningful and emotional conversation with our cousins, and they were extremely comforting and supportive of us and our story. I am really looking forward to getting to know and forming relationships with my many half-siblings. Lastly, Sandra and I finally feel validated and our lives finally make sense. We always knew that something was off growing up, but we didn't know what it was. We looked nothing alike. Our personalities were completely different. Everyone always asked us if we were actually full sisters. And now we finally know why. Thank you, Laurie and Guy, for all of your help and advice. We greatly appreciate it. I'm glad that they each got back to us separately 
because there was a lot of overlap in their reports, but there was also a difference. And the first difference was how the mom reacted to the conversation. Sandra said that the mom reacted better than she expected. She expected the mom would yell at them and throw them out of the house. And Kim said that the conversation didn't go as well as she had hoped. So that was interesting just in terms of their expectations. Both of them described how when the mom was asked if she would do anything differently, knowing how much pain holding the secret had caused the daughters, that she said she wouldn't. And I think that they interpreted that as her not seeing their pain. But that moment when the mom said, sorry, even though it was angry. And then Kim said, sorry that we're in a lot of pain. And the mom said, yes. You know that there's so much going on inside of the mom. And I think it's hard for them to see because of their own pain. But I felt so much compassion for the whole family when I heard that moment and what it took for the mom, given how rigid she had been on her position, to say sorry and then to acknowledge, yes, I'm sorry that I put you through this pain. I agree. I also had compassion for the mother in hearing these voice messages. Because when Kim asked her, why didn't you tell us when we were adults? The mother wasn't able to say, because I had kept the secret for so long, it probably would have felt incredibly scary to come and admit that I had lied to you all your lives and caused you pain. Then I think people at that time came up with all kinds of rationalizations for why they had to keep the secret. And I think that what Kim and Sanja need to understand is that the mom's positions on this are really stuck in time. It's possible that if the dad hadn't died and they could have processed it together, there might have been some change. But I think after the father passed away, then it was not just about maintaining the secret, but maintaining his secret or his shame in some kind of way. And that made it very difficult for the mother to reconsider how she was handling things. Right, because she had to really grapple with this on her own, and she was not talking to anybody about this because she was the sole keeper of that secret at that point. And I think it must have felt very difficult for her in ways she doesn't realize or can't articulate, except there was an opening there when she said sorry and could acknowledge their pain. I know that's not enough for them right now, but I hope that they take that as an opening. I think there's going to be more of that as the mother sees them be very open and comfortable and relieved by being able to live their lives with their identity being known. The other part I really liked was the letters they wrote to the donors because we asked them to write a letter, but they didn't just state things. They said, here are the questions I would have asked you. Here are the things I would have wanted to know. They were really comprehensive, communicating all the feelings they had, all the questions they had, all the thoughts they had, they were really enumerating the losses and the misses that they didn't get to experience. And I think that's what made it so cathartic. One of the many losses that happens when you keep that kind of secret for so long is the loss of the ability to have connected with their donors. And that is a huge loss. And so I think that in these letters, they were able to begin the process of doing some of that grief work. They were so beautiful, what they described. And I hope that they'll continue to do some of that grief work because there's more to do there. But I think this was a really, really positive and healing beginning to that. And I was very heartened to hear that when it came to looking at what the empowering aspects of this were for them, they were so meaningful. 
First among those where it brought them closer as sisters, but it also connected them to their cousins in a new kind of way that they're excited about. It presented them with all these half siblings that they now have relationships with and have an option to form relationships with. And I think the biggest piece of this is what they both said in different ways. Sandra said, I finally know my story. And Kim said, our lives finally make sense. And that's the story that we hear over and over when there's been a big family secret. And then when you finally get the validation, oh, it makes sense now. People always wondered if we were sisters or I didn't really feel a part of the family in the way that I thought I would. Whatever it is, just something seemed not right. I finally know my story. Our lives finally make sense. When we think about the positives of this experience, despite all the pain, that's the positive right there. And I'm so glad that now the mystery has been solved and they can move forward knowing the truth and to feel empowered by that truth. And the last thing I think is that by telling the mom that they're telling the cousins and then telling the cousins and then having these conversations, there is no more secret. And that is an incredible relief. Next week, a young woman who's now with a healthy partner still carries scars from an abusive relationship she had years ago. Like, I'm just ashamed of the whole situation. I don't want to talk about how I had an abusive partner for three years of my life. I want to forget about it on the outside, but on the inside, I can't forget about it. If you're enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe for free so that you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear Therapists by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Josh Fisher. Additional editing support by Helena Rosen, John Washington, and Zachary Fisher. Our interns are Ben Bernstein, Emily Gutierrez, and Silva Lifton. And special thanks to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Kurek. We can't wait to see you at our next session. Dear Therapists is a production of iHeartRadio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.